Welcome to Babylon Brews, deep thoughts fermented over time and text. I come to you, Aaron Crujuice from Virgo with my co-host Gumby. Hey, what's going on? And Dr. Michael Heiser. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. Actually, it's our honor. <laughs> we love having you on. Yep. Well, here we are. Here we are to frighten people and maybe educate a few. But... <laughs> That's right. We'll be, uh, whoop. Wow, that was scary. <laughs> While we talk, we'll be sipping on uh, on Murphy's. Murphy's is an internationally recognized Irish stout, brewed since 1856 in the iconic Ladies' Well Brewery Cork. Classified as an Irish dry stout, Murphy's is dark in color and medium-bodied. It is silky smooth with toffee and coffee undertones, almost no bitterness, and an irresistible creamy finish. It is an ABV of 4.0. You can see the coffee coming out when you pour it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's one of my favorites to do is coffees because is this a, is this a paid endorsement? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's we're a, we're working towards that still. We uh, we have had some collaborations, which has been nice. Oh, <laughs> paid would be even better. Paid but, would be better, but collaborations work out well. <laughs> the most we probably got is free beer offers right now from breweries. Yeah. So okay. Uh-huh. They're looking at it as advertising, so we'll <laughs> yes. take it. Yeah, right. If it, does, if it does well, you can charge them next time, you know. Right, right. <laughs> so it's been a while, though. There's been your life has been chock full of changes. Yeah, yeah. It's been. I was trying to to think about this the other day. Like, when was I? It, it's got to be. It's got to be two years. I mean, it, it's you know, it's a while. So I, I can't quite remember when, but I mean, yeah, you know, the big thing is we moved, you know, I'm in Florida now, but, uh, you know, that was a big deal because, you know, it all it also involved uh, leaving Faith Life, Logos, you know, for this new position. So I've had a position change, you know, a job change, um, you know, which has really, I mean, there were lots of reasons that it was pretty apparent that. I would be an idiot to not go. <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't that much of a dilemma, you know. Mm-hmm. My my wife and I we had actually been thinking about moving before we ever even heard of the place we're at now. Because uh, basically, what I did at Faith Life for the last three years I was there was was write. You know, I wrote books. Every once in a while, I'd pop into the studio and do a a mobile ed course or a commercial for something or, you know, whatever it was, you know, a little sit down chit chat. So, you know, we're, we're, we're thinking good grief, you know, we can do that anywhere. And so we have a, a daughter uh, who lives in North Carolina and we were, so we were thinking about going to North Carolina and then, uh, you know, that was sort of rolled around in our heads for six months. And then this thing came up. So it was like, we were, we were sort of mentally already, down that road, you know, it just mm. it just changed. It was still East Coast, you know. It's, it actually is a shorter trip to drive from where we're at now to visit her than it was to fly from the Northwest. Because wow. when we lived in the Northwest, there was just a regional airport. It literally took a day to go anywhere. You know, if you if you pass the center of the country, you're looking at a day. Mm, wow! Because you know, the layovers and stuff. So you know, West Coast was fine you know, into Dallas. But if you're going anywhere east of that, it's a day. So yeah. it works out a lot better. Well, we're glad we did, you know. Well, you were but, one of the pioneers by mobile ed, right? Yeah, yeah. I was one of the one of the three people in on the ground floor of that. Um, you know, it, actually, when it, when it came to doing anything for the company on video, it was me and another guy. <laughs> and then we had the, the guy who... Hard to even call it a video department at that point. It was like a guy with a camera, <laughs> but we actually really didn't even have the camera uh, when we first made the the first thing they did in video was learn to use Greek and Hebrew. You know, the first iteration, and it took us. The only reason it got done was the the VP of the company, who whose son was Bob Pritchett, the CEO at Logos. The VP had this passion to do something educationally in video. 
And we all thought that the language tools were, you know, where to go because that that's where, I mean, it's going to sound awful, but that's where most of the guilt is. You know, people, people either want to know, like the want to feel like they can handle the languages or they went to seminary. And even if they did well, that was 20 years ago and they've not looked at it since, mm. you know, they feel lost, you know, still. And so we, you know, we knew that. But it took us months to convince Bob, the CEO, to let us do that course because he, Bob is a, he doesn't have any degrees. He actually left high school to go work at Microsoft. This is just when Windows was coming out. And the, the, out of that whole experience was the birth of Logos. You know, they, he started the company. Then, you know, he was the kid writing code in his bedroom, you know, in high school, like in the movies, you know, and he had Microsoft developers as his clients as a teenager. I mean, it was just, it was one of those rare circumstances, but he's entirely self-taught. So he has a very low view of anything formal education. So it took a long time for us to convince him to do this. And he gave us one month and I think it was $10,000. We didn't even have any equipment. It was ridiculous. You know, so we like went to Best Buy and a handheld video camera. <laughs> yeah, we, we had to put our the the audio the the stuff that isn't screen capture in the first version uh, of learn to use we had a we had lines and so we would we recorded them in an iphone and then we put a thing in our ear and we talked over ourselves into the camera we didn't we didn't even have a teleprompter or the, or the ability to do powerpoint it was just like the ultimate low budget thing wow <laughs> And Bob made fun of it every chance he got. <laughs> so it shipped, and the and the day it crossed seven hundred thousand in sales, which was only a few months later, he called a meeting and, and he he comes into the room and he says, "I promise I will not make fun of this product anymore." Let's <laughs> get a bigger office. <laughs> right? When, when can we do more of this? <laughs> you know, why don't we have more of these? And, I, and I, I'm there. I don't. I didn't actually have a mirror, but I said, "Bob, look in the mirror. There's your answer right there." You know. It, so that that's how the whole thing was born. You know, the success of that first thing, which wasn't visually good at all. I mean, it was good enough to ship, but it wasn't like, like, wow, this is cool looking. You know, no one would ever describe it like that. Right. Mm. But. Out of that came mobile ed, and so here we are, 150 you know courses later, you know, with lots of scholars from all over the country, and and that was an interesting experience too with some of them. But um, yeah, so that that was one of those ground floor things that you know, we were <laughs> fortunate enough to to be a part of. That's awesome, and that's yeah. and I, I love getting the material because I'm I'm actually still a, a Faith Life Now subscriber, so it's uh. It's there fun. You there you go. There's a lot on there, you know? Yeah. It really is, you know? So I think they still have a, I think they still have something of an awareness raising problem yet. I don't think they really tapped, you know, all the audience that they could, but you know, it'll, it'll get there, but it's, it's a successful thing, you know, just across the board. Now it's a whole department and, you know, I'm, I'm detached from it now, but, yeah, in the old days, it was kind of ridiculous to start. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had a lot of cool things come out since the last time we talked to you. Yeah, um, it was probably what Angels came out, Demons yeah. of course just came out. The uh, the Stranger Things book would have, would be one of those. Right. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. The Enoch commentary. I was going to say the Reversing Hermon. Yeah, and Reversing Hermon. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's been a lot that, that's come out. So. Pick your poison, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you want to talk about. Which which one was your favorite to work on? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think probably the Stranger Things book. That was the most fun, uh, and, and it, it wasn't my idea. Um, we I had just handed in Angels a few months prior to that, and. Uh, the uh, the guy who ran who runs Lexum, you know, shot me an email and said, "Hey, you know, we have this idea, you know, this idea in a meeting about." And I had just done self-published. What does God want? 
this little book for new believers, you know. And as soon as I heard the idea, I thought, because I loved the show, you know, I was predisposed out of the gate, you know, to, to do this. But I thought, you know, this is, I know exactly what I'm doing with this. <laughs> and literally, my, my process was, I watched every episode. I mean, essentially got paid to watch Stranger Things three or four times, you know, every episode. Take copious notes, you know, on, on all the episodes. But my method was, I'm going to take the first section of what does God want, which is just reducing the the supernatural storyline to, you know, a couple chapters, all right? Just tell the story. And I'm going to map that to the show. Hmm. And it was easy. It was <laughs> easy. Because, you know, the good storytelling will map to good storytelling. It has all the archetypes in there. It's got, you know, major themes of, of the biblical story. And, and you, know, the, you, know, you know, 11 is an obvious Christ figure. But, but what, what was really appealing to me is that I think there's only one place in the show where you could point to it and say, that might be an intentional Christian illusion. And if you got, are you guys familiar with the show? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's at the end of season one where where Hopper puts the, the egos into that box. You know, that, that box is is the I mean you, you can look it up on the internet and you get pictures. It, it's it's a Catholic communion box, you know, a certain style, but it, it is the box. Yeah. And so there are a lot of people, you know, who thought that this was a pretty a pretty direct, you know, illusion because the wafers round and you know all this kind of stuff, that whole scene. But other than that, I the, the, what I was really struck by is how how the show, without even the, the writers and the directors knowing it, mimic the biblical storyline. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, not, they're not Christians. They're not doing this intentionally. It's yeah, like right. you can't help it. It's just there. Yeah. And, and they do it really intelligently, and I think it really maps over well. So that's probably the most fun you know book I've had. I, I really... I like doing stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. for me, the big the big uh, takeaway there with Stranger Things was, you know, kind of like that dualism, the idea of being in the upside down and the yeah. real world and having access to both. Yeah, that to me was like, hey, where have I read this before? <laughs> yeah, you know, that, you know there's that, a lot of stuff like that. You know that that affirms. You know, I have a whole chapter, uh, you know, the, the chapter is called The Veil of Shadows. And I, and I basically just talk about how the, the upside down mimics Sheol, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know and, and the problem, of course, for Will is that he's, he's in the underworld, the realm of death, and he can't get out, can't save himself. He's certainly going to die. You know, and, and you can look at it on the surface level and say, well, he gets out because of the intervention of, you know, his mom and Hopper. And, okay, the only way they get there is because of Eleven. Right. She, Super, everything yeah. about the circumstances that allow them to do what they do is, is focused entirely on her. It derives from her. Mm. So, I mean, there's, there's only a supernatural solution to escaping from Sheol at the end of the day. You know, so it's just... It's just things like this that the show again. Nobody's sitting there on the other end, you know, yeah. thinking, "Well, what you know, what Christian thing can we throw into this?" They're not thinking that at all, right? But it's just so um, the connection points are just everywhere if you're paying attention again to to the supernatural elements of the biblical story. And it's not just the Jesus thing; it's all this other stuff. Like I, I loved how um, I loved how the, the, the show's creators. Uh, make the hive mind's nature its greatest weakness. In fact, its only weakness. Hmm. You know, because, you know, you, you, you get, a, you know, you get into the show a little bit, it's like, oh, come on, you know, how are these, how are these bunch of kids and a few adults, you know, and they're all screwed up, they're all damaged in some way. You know? Right, right, right. How are they supposed to, to win here, you know? And and they they figure out really not because of brain power, but because of, again, the, I would say the providential set of circumstances reveals to them that, hey, you know, this, this, function, this thing functions as a hive mind. All of the evil entities are, are intertwined and connected with each other. 
But what that means is that it's it's nature and its greatest strength. It's also its weakness, because it can't. It can learn, okay? Because like you know, like the whole scene with preventing it from knowing where Will is and all that stuff. But once it once it knows something, it knows. Yeah. But it cannot anticipate decisions and actions outside the collective. Hmm. It's not omniscient. And I, and I think that's really a, a good illustration of how intelligent evil works and is limited. It can only learn and respond and adapt. And it does that extraordinarily well. Yeah. But it cannot anticipate. It has to watch. It has to learn. You know, and, and they use that to their advantage. You know, they split up into different groups and everybody's doing their own thing and it all comes together. And, and, and it cannot know until it's either allowed to know, and then you have some misdirection there, or until it learns. You know, it's just that it is what it is. So it's, its greatest, you know, strength, this interconnectivity, this hive mind nature is actually, it's leads to its under, it undermines itself. It leads to its downfall, which, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. Uh, now, again, I don't know if they're consciously thinking of that, but, but that maps over really well to a biblical yeah. portrayal of supernatural evil. So you have just to wonder if they knew it's, just, it's awesome, you know. Yeah. So it was it was easy to write the book, you know, and just go through all the episodes and and think about um, what's going on and why and who knows what, who's in the room and who isn't, and you know, all this sort of thing and just how things come together. You know, the the, the unbelieving world calls that serendipity or chance. Mm-hmm. The, the Christian world says no, it's providence. There's an intelligence. Uh, but it, it's very easy to map whether you you use the language or not. It's there. Yeah. So that was that was a really fun exercise. I think that kind of thing ought to be done. I'm not saying I'm the one to do it, but I think it, when I came to Celebration, I mean, it's a very large you know church network. It's twenty twenty five thousand people, and they have a lot of young people. And I I told the leadership you know, who really liked the Stranger Things book. I said, what, what we're going to see here, what, what we need to look for, one of the things we need to look for is we need to find, you know, teenagers and millennials who have a, a high domain knowledge of my content and have a high domain knowledge of something else, like a video game or the Marvel Universe or the DC mm. Universe mm-hmm. or, or, you know, manga, anime. I mean, anything like that, because good storytelling. Will that, and and these are the people who can who can speak to that audience about this world that they all love, this thing they love, and how it maps over to to the biblical story. So we need to find those people because they'll do it. Yeah, they're good. Yeah. They're good yeah. dot connectors. Yep, storytellers and dot connectors. They'll do it. Yep. Yeah. So that that's something I'd like to see happen. Well, it's kind of funny you say it because that does echo across the comics, even in. Uh, DC did uh, did a uh, uh, a uh, story arc a long time ago with Superman, right? And how Superman had to battle uh, different forces, including Dark Side and everything else, and he died. Mm-hmm. And then later, his body, because he's an alien species, regenerated, and he came back, right? So it's 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 interesting. It it often does coincide for your for your audience, you know that that. This is a two-edged sword because, on the one hand, all that stuff's there, mm-hmm. but the, the the resource I'm thinking of, what what you'll also see if you read it, is how you know once you once you can sort of see the storytelling of of again DC universe and and, and the Marvel universe. It's easy as Christians again to to see these kinds of connections, but the the flip side of that coin is the ancient aliens narrative because yeah. that 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 is a a pilfering and and a um, you know basically a, they steal the scriptural storyline and pervert it yeah. that as well you know so there, there's there's a really good book that that gets into um, that this level of the storytelling and it's called our gods wear spandex 
<laughs> Don't let the cover fool you. It's it's uh, it's Da Vinci's Last Supper, but it has the superhero characters you know, at the table, oh, wow. and it, it really goes into how how these these comic books um, are really telling high level, you know, archetypal stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's 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 very readable. It's by uh, Christopher Knowles, I think, is the guy's name. Um, but it's it's actually worth reading if you're into like comic books and stuff like that, or like you you interact with with young people who read the stuff. Um, it, they do a lot with that stuff, but it, there's a good side and a dark side to it too. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll check that out. That's really cool. I I I do like how how life mimics art, or the opposite, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, yeah. That is really cool. It kind of leads over into your other book, Demons, right? Going from going from your uh, your uh, your your underworld over into Demons, because Demons is kind of like an expansion of the previous stuff that you've written. Yeah, um, yeah. Is the latest, right? The That's the latest. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there there is some intelligent design or semi-intelligent design here. <laughs> um, you know, Unseen Realm came out in 2015 and then supernatural came out with it. That's the, you know, the light version of unseen realm. So from that point, um, I did the little, what does God want on my own because I wanted to own the content, but that's for new believers. And then that would, I see that with things that will help them graduate to supernatural. And then if they read that, they can graduate to unseen realm. Okay. But on the, on the, the publishing side of the stuff that I, you know, I, I don't own all the rights to because it's published through a, a regular publisher. With, the decision was made to to sort of pick a few topics, you know, items, and drill down into things that were introduced in Unseen Realm, and then expand it as you know as well as we could within you know within a certain amount of pages and at a certain level, you know, that sort of thing. And so that's where Angels came from. Um, it, it both expands on things that are planted in Unseen Realm and introduces new material, and the Demons book is the same. But the, and the titling is, is deliberate because, you know, Angels is, you know, Angels, and then the subtitle is what the Bible really says about God's heavenly host. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so that's deliberate because not all the members of God's heavenly host are angels. I mean, so I'm, I'm already... I'm already, you know, sort of, you know, teasing or, you know, tweaking, you know, even in the subtitle, because we know, we knew that the word angels, you know, would draw attention when people are searching for books, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And of course, we, we also knew that demons would do better because everybody wants the bad guys instead of right, right. good guys. But, um, yeah, demons is what the Bible really says about the powers of darkness. And again, not all the powers of darkness are demons. Yeah. So it, again, it, it tweaks and plays off, you know, this thing that I want people to learn in the book, you know, these these sort of fundamental ideas. But you know, that's what it is. It it, it drills down, and it it rehashes, you know, retells some things that are in unseen realm, but then it, it adds a lot of material, you know, and flushes it out. Mm-hmm. Where I, I couldn't devote the space, you know, in unseen realm because unseen realm is just you know Genesis to Revelation, this whole framework, you know, build, building the matrix, you know, that that kind of thing. Um, so this, this gave us a nice opportunity to, to camp on areas that we knew people would really be interested in if they'd read either Unseen Realm or Supernatural before. Yeah. And it does a nice job going through the, the three stages of the rebellion. See that? And that's what makes the book unique. You know, it, I mean, you guys know, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm serious about it. You know, I often say that the dirty little secret of Unseen Realm is that Mike never had an original thought. You know, I'm just I'm just taking scholarship and making it decipherable and connecting dots. It's all I do. It's not like magic. But this book, Demons, is more the same. But but this is the one exception. If if you were reading in scholarship, again, you would know how Jews sort of looked at why the world is a mess. You know, you ask a Christian that, you know, why is the world such a mess? Where does evil come from? It's, oh, it's the fall. You know, you, Mike, you dummy, don't you read your Bible? It's the fall, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, but if you ask the same question to a Second Temple Jew, it's not the answer you would get. You know, the answer you would get is, well, there's actually three reasons. 
you know, falls the first one, you know, we got to, we have to take, you know, ownership of that, you know, we're, we're weak and frail and sinful and so on and so forth. But there's a problem. And the problem is not to see a supernatural rebellion in Genesis 6. And we've been taught that since the fourth century. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, I had a guy, I, I did an interview this week, he had a great line, so I'm going to steal it. And it, I, I did an interview with Preston Sprinkle. I don't know if you've heard of him, mm-hmm. but he's a New Testament scholar. Uh, but he, he, he does, he has a nonprofit now. His thing is um, theology and gender and, you know, homosexuality and, you know, like social, you know, where, how the Bible should intersect with these things. Okay. So, and he lives in Utah. So I did a, a podcast with him this week and he said, he goes, you know, I read through demons. He goes, he goes, the Genesis six stuff. He goes, that's like the John three sixteen of second temple Judaism. Everybody agreed on this point. <laughs> and, he's, and he's right. You know, it's like of, of all the things that, that you get varying opinion on in the Jewish writings, this ain't one of them. Everybody is in lockstep here. Hmm. Genesis six is about you know supernatural transgression of you know this boundary between heaven and earth and and how it produces you know how it leads to depravity you know the proliferation of everybody's on, on board there there are no dissenting voices yeah. you know, and and it's that way until you get into the fourth century in the early church but but we're taught to not see that and then when you get to the third rebellion we never see that because. You know, we read Genesis 1 through 11 about Babel, but we don't see anything in Deuteronomy 32, 8 because our translations aren't following the Dead Sea Scrolls. So it's like you never get there. Right. So we've got one of three prongs. And so what, what makes the Demons book different, it, it's if there's a unique contribution here, it is the only book, both either in academia or you know to a popular audience, that addresses spiritual evil from the perspective of three rebellions. There is no other book that does that. Again, you yeah. have to read the journal literature, this you know high academic fluff, you know that that kind of stuff to to run into that. But there, nobody has sort of just laid it out in one place on either side. So that that's its significant contribution. So I'm hoping readers come away with that. And the other thing I'd I'd want to we can talk about it if you want unless you have a, a different direction you want to go but the other thing I want I would love for them to go away with is the connection between um, what we call what we think of as spiritual warfare and the Great Commission mm. I think that's a really big deal that is just totally neglected okay uh, in discussion so you know those are the two takeaways I'm hoping people get with the book well as a as a recovering evangelical. I mean, I can I can definitely relate to the term, uh, you, you know, I can I can definitely relate to that. So w- unpack that a bit. What do you mean? Sure. Well, if if you believe, if you believe that there's three reasons why the world is a mess, mm-hmm. and the, there's these three supernatural rebellions, and and you know, there's there's human rebellion mixed in there too. You know, and the proliferation of depravity and all this stuff. This is what you believe then you would naturally believe that the Messiah, when he comes, is supposed to fix all three, not just one. So we've got the Genesis 3 problem, which is the one that Christians only think about. And the problems there are, in the wake of that, of what happens with the supernatural rebel there, we have death as a problem. Everything dies now. There is no more Eden. Everything is anti-Eden. So this is why he later on gets perceived as the god of this world, because sooner or later, everything dies. Everything winds up on his doorstep. He owns everything in, in that respect. You know, he, he controls the destiny, you know, mm. or so it would seem, of everything, because everything dies. Yeah. So that, that's a big problem. And then the other problem is, of course, estrangement from God. The, the relationship between humans, the human family, and God is severed. It's, it's fractured. It's broken. Yeah. So you, those, are, those, those are the Genesis 3 problems. The Genesis 6 problem ultimately really isn't the Nephilim because they're, you know, the, the lineage side of that, you know, the giant clans and such, they get eliminated by the time of David. And, oh, isn't it a coincidence? Who eliminates the giant clans? You know, time for Bible trivia. It's Moses and Joshua and David. 
What do all three of those figures have in common? They're all types of the Messiah. It's not a coincidence. You know, they, they, are, they are foreshadowings. They are prototypical. You know, you've got you know, the Messiah is the prophet like unto Moses. Okay, but surpassing Moses. He's named Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, and he's the son of David. Like, oh, what a coincidence. So, you know, that's taken care of that way, but the, the depravity thing has to be addressed. So how does, how does that get addressed by the work of Jesus? Well, how many times did Jesus say, you know, four or five times, I, I would think at least, Jesus tells them, now look, you know, when the Son of Man dies and you know he's raised after three days, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you guys, and I'm and the Spirit is going to come, or I'm gonna send the Spirit, you know, in my place. Well, why is that a big deal? Okay, this, the Holy Spirit doesn't show up here to do what He does unless there's a resurrection. You know, so when Jesus rises from the dead, yes, we've taken care of the death problem now because. You know, you have to, to take care of the death problem, you have to have a resurrection. And you can't have a resurrection unless you die first. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's a logic to it. So we, we, we take care of that, and believers are joined to Christ. They become members of the body of Christ. And so they're going to rise with him. Okay, we've cured the death problem. If we believe in Jesus, we've cured the estrangement problem. But Jesus has to leave now. And mm -hmm. when he leaves, the Spirit's going to come. And what's the Spirit's role? Well, among the Spirit's roles is to indwell believers to help them to resist sin. In other words, that is the combat, you know, the, that's the agent of deliverance or, or at least combat, resistance to depravity. That's his role. You know, and so that what the Messiah does addresses the Genesis 6 problem of the proliferation of depravity. Then the third, you know, the rebellion at Babel with the nations all fragmented and scattered. This is where I think spiritual warfare really comes in. I mean, it, it, it comes in with depravity, because when, when we're warned in the New Testament as believers about, you know, not giving place to the devil, you know, and watching out, the devil seeks to devour us. And, you know, I mean, th these are things that that relate to the Spirit's ministry, you know, of, of helping us, you know, not sin and, and things like that. So there there is a there is an element to that there. But what what's really, I think, even more dramatic is Jesus you know, when he ascends and he gives the Great Commission. Okay, just think about some of these data points. The Great Commission is not Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And we often skip verse 18, where Jesus says, All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Wow, well, like, like who had the authority before that? The gods of the mm. nations. You know, the, the principalities, yeah. you know, all the princes of, you know, Daniel. Well, that, that's changed, fellas. <laughs> you know, because the Most High now, who gave them this authority, has now withdrawn it. Because the Most High became a man, that would be me. And, you know, all authority now is rested in me. And I'm going to ascend and go and sit down at the right hand of my father, where I belong, the, the rulership position and status. And so I both already rule the nations, but not yet. Your mission is now to go out and find my children among all the nations and bring them all back home. Okay, and this is why Paul, when he talks about the resurrection in, in half a dozen passages, he connects the resurrection with the nullification of the authority of the principalities and the powers and the rulers and the throne. He, he just does that. It's axiomatic to Paul. Well, because Jesus did this, they don't have any authority anymore. And this is his message, you know, when he goes into these pagan towns and and in the Demons book, I have a passage from Plato that describes the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. You know, Plato's like six, 700 BC. You know, I mean, it, it's the same <laughs> idea, you know, that, that the, the gods allotted, you know, are allotted to specific places. And we worship this god because the bigger gods say we have to. You know, it just, it's this whole, you know, thinking. Yeah, and so Paul Paul knows this, and he go he could go into a town and say, "Look, you know, I I get it. You know, I'm I'm here telling you about Jesus, and and you're like, you're scared because you're thinking, you know, if, if I listen to this this crazy man, this crazy Jew from Tarsus, you know, about Jesus, if I really you know buy into this, the gods that we worship here, they're going to be ticked, mm. and we're in trouble. 
you know, we're going to get harassed. We're going to, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? They're going to be after us. And so Paul would say, I understand. I understand that. You know, and, and I understand your worldview. I get it. You know, we, we have the same worldview too, but, but there's, there's a little difference here. Because what you have to realize is that the Most High, who gave the gods their authority as a punishment of the nations back at Babel, became a man, went to a cross for you, died, and rose again. And now he's ascended at the right hand of the Father. He's resumed his, his, his kingship. He has authority in all, over all the nations now. He has withdrawn the status that he originally gave. So you're not only free to come back home, but he insists on it. Mm -hmm. So don't be scared. You know, it's, this is the most, the most high is on your side. You know, so he connects this thought, and then, and then he links his mission. I mean, he's the apostle of the Gentiles, so he's the, he's the guy that's going to talk in these terms all the time. So he links that, the whole, the, the message, his ministry, the gospel, with the fullness of the Gentiles. This is Romans 9 through 11. So when, when, whenever God looks at, at, you know, what I'm doing here, you know, my ministries to the Gentiles, whenever, whenever the, you know, we, we've reached the brim here, you know, whenever the pot's full of Gentiles, whenever God is satisfied, well, at that point, that the fullness of the Gentiles, Israel, my countrymen, will have a, a reawakening. Okay, you know, all Israel will be saved. Again, whatever, whatever that means, it can mean two or three different things, but but that's the catalyst to them coming back and embracing Jesus, and then the end will come. So that the principalities and powers know that when the Great Commission succeeds, they're doomed. That is the point when the judgment of Psalm 82 gets enacted. They're destroyed. They're not just, they don't just have their authority withdrawn. They are done. They're literally toast. Okay, they cease to exist. They're going to die like men, in the words of Psalm 82. So spiritual warfare is really doing the Great Commission. You yeah. Just ask yourself, what do the powers fear? Okay, they don't really fear you shouting at them. You know, they don't really fear, you know, like, I don't know, playing a gospel song in front of them. Or so. I mean, you know, okay, that, 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 that might help, all right? You know, at least it telegraphs whose side you're on, you know? <laughs> but what they, fear, what they fear is the thing that leads to their destruction. Hmm. So I often get yeah. the, the question, you know, do the, the, do the powers of darkness, you know, are they stupid? You know, they, they really think they can win here. And the answer to that question is, well, it depends how you define victory. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're not morons. They, they know who God is. They know they're not going to beat God. They're not going to kill God, okay? But if you define victory as, hey, you know, the longer we can keep the fullness of the Gentiles from happening, that means we get to stay alive and do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. And to be honest with you, they're not doing a bad job. Right. You know, they're right. not doing a bad yeah. job. So if you define victory that way, oh, yeah. Yeah, they do think they can win. They, they think they can kick this can down the road indefinitely. And, and what's the strategy? Distract Christians from doing it. Yeah. Make, make Christians, you know, invalidate their testimonies by the way they live. You know, just, yeah. I mean, any number of things that make the church weak or mm -hmm. distract the church to, to put its energies over here instead of here. That's a win. That goes in the W column, okay? You know, be, because if, if the Great Commission isn't happening, good. That's the whole, that's the whole game right there. Yeah. So I, I'm hoping, you know, that, that readers will get a sense of that. Um, as really being what, what spiritual warfare is. You know, if, if Jesus could come back in, you know, in time and redo the Great Commission, he wouldn't redo it. <laughs> okay? like, like, it doesn't need improvement. He doesn't need to tweak it at all. I mean, like what he actually said was the point. Mm -hmm. he, he nailed it the first time, okay? This is what you're supposed to do, you know, and, and then the end will come. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I like about this worldview, Mike, is the coherence that it adds to a lot of different denominations, a lot of different theologies, a lot of different 
interpretations of theologies. Uh, it for me as a recovering evangelical, it's it you know it it's a process to get to that point. You know, whereas maybe at, from a Catholic point of view, it might be easier to to read and say, yeah, that makes sense. For yeah. me, there was some steps to go through to get to that point to be able to accept it, not be angry. Yeah. You know, not not to say that you know everything that I thought was gone, you know, all thrown out. So this adds some level of coherence to an otherwise, for me, a, a broken theology world, right. you know? It's a, you know, I, I mean, you, you guys have, have you're, you're familiar enough, you know, with me to know that I don't endorse any denomination and I don't shoot at any either. You oh, know, yeah. I've had, I've had Catholic friends who are, are, are very knowledgeable about the content mm -hmm. and, and, and they say the thing that I want to hear. And the thing that I want to hear is not, I'm leaving the Catholic church. You know, they want to do that. <laughs> but if you leave that and you go to some other place that isn't preaching the gospel, well, that, that's kind of pointless. You know, what, what I hear from them is, and I've actually had them tell me this. I've had, I've had really serious Catholics look at me and say, the Catholic Church needs to be evangelized. Like, like, like this has to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have all this truth here, and somehow it, you know, the, like, the, the gospel gets obscured or there's misdirection. And honestly, that's a story that I think basically every denomination can tell. Mm -hmm. I had today, just today, I got, you know, the last assignment for the, uh, the last written assignment for the class we're doing is, is basically, give me your testimony. You know, tell me your, your story of believing loyalty. It's, it's connected to a believing loyalty lecture. I just read a, a guy say that up until, I mean, he's, I guess he was in his late 20s or 30s, and he, he had grown up in the church, and it was, it was an evangelical, you know, context. He said, I had never heard a single believer ever talk about repentance or discipleship. Hmm. No wow. idea what, what that was, like what that was wow. about. I mean, I don't, that's, I don't know how you can say that you, you understand what the gospel is if you exclude those <laughs> Like, how do you yeah, get yeah. there? Like what are you, what are you telling people? Right. But and that, yeah. again, this, this is his story, and it's like, you know, I, I, I read something <laughs> like I don't know what to say. Yeah. You know, yeah. That goes back to your earlier point. I, I definitely yeah. agree that the powers of this world have done a pretty good job thus far keeping things confusing, yeah. divided. Uh, yeah. But that's why I appreciate this worldview is that for me, it offers, regardless of denomination or, you know, what branch you're under the, the church, for me, it's like a string you could pull on that kind of leads me through all of that. And it, it grounds me. It can ground I, you. You know what I mean? I have really been struck by how meaningful just the concept of believing loyalty is. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm far enough down this road that it's like, why, like, what's there to think about here? You know, mm -hmm. but, but for so many, it's like that is like a revolutionary thought. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I'm glad. I mean, I didn't I didn't go into the to the to unseen realm. I mean, and since since then, you know, Matthew Bates has, has come out with the book, The Gospel by Allegiance Alone, um, you know, that has sort of fleshed this out. And, you know, Bates' story is, you know, he. He went to, I think he went to Notre Dame, but he he has a, a, a pretty strong relationship with with the Catholic community. He's not Catholic, but like part of part of part of what he's writing sort of came out of his struggle with the faith and works thing, and then just talking about it in that context. Okay. Okay. So you know, it, but he's really fleshed it out. But I, I I'm amazed at at how revolutionary that is because really when it gets right down to it is. You know, you're just just one one sentence. I mean, how, how difficult can it be to grasp that the gospel is not about merit? Your you know your merit in any way. Mm -hmm. 
And you, now you, you do works and your works show what, what you already believe. They show your loyalty. If yep. you don't have them, then, then, you know, maybe you're not, I mean, how, how can you, how can you validate your claim to believe this thing over here? Mm-hmm. It's not that you're doing this so that, so that God, ah, thumbs up, you cross the line, you know, you, you know, it, it's, I owe you now, you know, it, it's not that, but but so many people are stuck on that. My my original context was um, fundamentalism, and I saw several really really good people, just sincere. I mean, they're believers, but they were crushed, you know, by by the guilt of. Um, it, it's amazing they they could they could articulate the gospel verbally re- very well, but but they couldn't get over this this hump of, of really understanding that, you know, even when you fail, it doesn't change God's disposition toward you. You know, while yeah. you were yet a sinner, before you even made a profession of faith, he loved you. But now somehow we have to we have to do this checklist of things to keep God happy or, or to keep him liking us. Yeah. You know, it, it, it just it just crushed people. And and it wasn't ever really intentional like on the part of the, of the leadership, but it's just, it was just sort of this, this thing that came across the pulpit, you know, with, with consistency and, and the way believers talked about their relationship with the Lord. It was very, it was very ducks in a row oriented. And it it creates that, that sort of mindset, you know, thinking. And so, you know, just something as simple as look, the works are not about merit. It, it's believing loyalty. I mean, it, again, I'm 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 so far down this road that I I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to forget you know how much I had to you know I struggled with that too. But yeah. it's one of those things those the light bulb goes on moments that is so helpful. Yeah, know, and lends so much clarity. That, yeah. Uh, you know, but I'm still startled that. I can read this guy, you know, I, I never, never heard a single Christian, single believer talk about repentance and discipleship. Yeah, it's where it is. So, yeah, well, it's uh, I, I think you'll appreciate this. So since, since the since the last time you were on the podcast, I actually did become Catholic. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. You, you, yeah. No, you sent me an email. You sent yeah. me an email about it. Yeah. yeah, and, and oh, I, I, I think what you'll appreciate is that I actually use a lot of your because I, I became the PSR Bible instructor over at the parish, yeah. and and I use a lot of your material there. And uh, just and they, what they need. Yeah, they highly endorse. They, they love it. They love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the 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 text of scripture is going to sound goofy, but good theology has that effect on people. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be a blessing if it's good theology it's a it'll bless them you know and and they'll they'll respond to it they'll you know they'll get clarity on what what they need to believe you know like what what the gospel is it you know that that, i mean if if that's all the book ever accomplishes i mean that that's that's pretty good, you know, because yeah. again, that 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 is spiritual warfare. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes I, I have these thoughts where, like, what can I write next? It'll just be the biggest pain in the butt, you know, the powers of darkness here, you know. Uh, you know, sometimes I have I have thoughts like that, and and honestly, if it's not contributing in some way to uh, to to a great commission operation or advancement. That it's you know it's not going to have much of an effect at all. Yeah. So I have to, you know, I have to keep thinking about that. And I like to, like the Stranger Things book. You know, it, it. I like these entry point projects that people who will never read a book about the Bible or theology. I mean, they, they might read the Stranger Things book, and they're getting the whether they know it or not. You know, I mean, I that kind of thing appeals to me. Um, Fringe pop is the same way. You know, just. You never know where people are going to enter the discussion, so you got to you got to give them multiple points of entry. And you know, if they don't look like church, that's fine. You know, it's about theology; it's not about looking like church. You know. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it worked really well. They've they've really been enjoying it. Um, and it's funny because I'll incorporate it with like you know things that the early church fathers said, yep. and and then I'll bring in and show them the the Deuteronomy thirty two worldview, and and it just it coincides. Yeah, it really does. And that's, Tiff, and that's there's, really there's less filters with Catholics, though. You know what yeah. I mean? I, I, I don't understand. I'm, at least with my experience with the evangelicals, I mean, we've got a lot gonna, more filtering. Yeah, the evangelicals are going to filter out the early church fathers. I mean, mm-hmm. in other words, you you appealing to them will have that won't even phase anybody. Yeah, yeah. But if you can find these these bridges, you know, into the fathers, these points of agreement, it, I think it is really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I get I get email. You know, not every week, obviously, but I, you know, I've, I've gotten maybe a, a few dozen emails from uh, Eastern Orthodox, you know, okay. yeah. and, and they, I mean, they have Psalm 82 in their liturgy in some places. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's really because of the theosis emphasis. You know, it's not so much uh, the gods under judgment, even though that it's in there. But I mean, like, we're, I, I couldn't find that in evangelical. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there, there, are, there are things like that that if you, if you can use you know the tradition as a bridge to people you know, in those denominations, that might just be the thing they need to validate it in their heads, mm. uh, and then they can they can start to trust you, you know, when when you give them scripture, it's it's important. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's it's great to have those bridges like like say a Justin Martyr, who directly yeah. said that you know the Titans were the fallen angels, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I you know Irenaeus, Justin Martyr. I mean, they, they boy, you know. I, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it, it's encouraging that that. Yeah, and I, I'm, I don't want to beat up on Augustine here, you know, but it, it, it's like, why can't we pay more attention to some of those guys? Yeah. As yeah. To them? You know, like, like why? And I know historically, you know, why Augustine sort of rose to prominence. You know, there were historical circumstances to that. But, but still, you know, it, it doesn't seem right to ignore uh, the thinking of people who just aren't as well known, but who were just as smart. You know, just just as astute you know, as he was. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're having an impact because. Uh, so I was looking at the footnotes at the USCCB, the U.S. Council of Catholic Bishops. Mm-hmm. They've revised a few things on on their rendition, the the NA, the NABRE. Mm-hmm. So like, like here's their footnote on Psalm 82. What, what year is this? This is this is. This is currently on the website right now. Okay. okay. So, uh, on Psalm 82, it says the pagan gods are seen as subordinate divine beings to whom Israel's God had delegated oversight of the foreign countries in the beginning. Now God arises in the heavenly assembly to rebuke the unjust gods who are stripped of divine status and reduced to mortal ranks. So yeah. it's, it's this kind of stuff is coming through. <laughs> that. And do you know do you know when that was was revised? Like, do you have a a, a guess? I think uh, I believe it was in around two thousand two ninety eight, right in there somewhere. That's interesting. It's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. So I mean that that's admirable because you know I mean evangelicalism obviously you know and Protestantism generally. You know they are they are fond of saying things like we have no teaching magisterium, but they sort of behave as if they do. (laughs) 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 No, there's like a a resistance, you know, and it can be something as simple and probably unvoiced, but as simple as well. Calvin didn't write about that in the Institutes, you know, or Luther didn't say that, you know. I mean, they 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 won't put it that way, but that's kind of where they're at, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, in fact, you, you'd appreciate this one, too, because in Genesis 6, it even says that these enigmatic verses are a transition between the expansion of the human race illustrating the genealogy of chapter 5 and the flood depiction of chapter 6. The text apparently alluding to the old legend shares a common ancient view that the heavenly world was populated by a multitude of beings, some of whom were wicked and rebellious, 
it is incorporated here not only in order to account for the prehistoric giants, whom the Israelites called the Nephilim, but also to introduce the story of the flood with a moral orientation. So they actually include it yeah. as giants, and um, and they do go through and say it's divine beings, not yeah. the Sethite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'd be happy at the very least if they just didn't say there's nothing to see here. Go away, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, that's so they're they're changing their views, and I think it's because of great scholars around like yourself. Well, I, I I would hope that they're reading you know scholarship and that and it's having an impact. Being you know to that there's a honestly a lot of a lot of Second Temple scholarship. I mean, I think it's just the last fifteen or twenty years. I think you've really seen an upsurge, uh, even in how you know, commentaries are getting written. You know, there's a lot more interaction with the material. Um, I, I don't know if you list. I don't think it's even aired, but, but the the podcast episode we we did um, we recorded last or a week ago, a week ago tomorrow, so last Friday, we did an episode on binding and loosing. Oh, and it it, it doesn't have anything to do with you know church like ecclesiastical authority. And, and you guys are gonna you guys are gonna be shocked here, and I think a lot of people are gonna be shocked because this is, and I actually say this in the episode, this is gonna be Exhibit A of why we should not read the New Testament filtered through the rabbinic material, which is later, but we right. should read it through Second Temple material. And I mean, you, I give a few examples of commentaries and and things where basically the. They're saying, well, the rabbis say this, the rabbis say that, and all this. And, and like nobody even searches. They don't <laughs> even do searches of the terms binding and loosing within the New Testament and in the Greek literature of the Second Temple period. Because if you do that, it's about power over demons. It's about exorcism. Yeah. You know, I mean, it has nothing to do with like these, these other historical discussions that, that we talk about. And it's like, look, if you'd have just looked, it would have it would have like taken your your head in, in a totally different direction. But it's just kind of shocking that out of the gate, people just, well, what do the rabbis say? And then, you know, the dirty little secret of, of, of commentaries is that a lot of commentaries just repeat what earlier commentaries said. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. just what they're doing. <laughs> But it, you're going to be you're going to find it a little startling, like because it'll it'll say it'll seem so obvious what this is, and then it'll hit you like, why didn't they just look this up? Why didn't they just run the search? You know, but but they don't. It's you know they're going they're doing all this rabbinical stuff, you know. <laughs> but I think I think that's it's changing. I think the Second Temple is having a lot more uh, of a contribution. You know, to scholarship. Yeah, and I I just looked at at the clock and it's six oh three because so because I have a six fifteen appointment. Okay. So, what, what, oh. If I know you can cut this or whatever, but if you have a last question, you should ask it. I I do have one more question. Um, have you watched Star Trek Picard yet? I have not. I have not. I think... Go ahead. I, th I think you should. I think you'll. I think you'll enjoy it. Okay. Can you give me another? Or you don't want to give me a hint as to why? Or <laughs> it. Um, let's just say that it wraps up a lot of things from both Voyager and Next Generation, and it leads into a whole new thing. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. I think you'll really they enjoy. They don't do the time travel thing, do they? Uh, no not as much. No, there, there's some not as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some flashbacks. There's okay, some... but I but I mean like like the, the the newest iteration of the movies, and I, and I usually hate time travel. Like I'm with I'm with Captain Janeway when I was at the academy. I swore I would never do the time travel. You know, um, so I'm I'm kind of with her. But the movies I thought did it, you know, pretty pretty well. But. Yeah. characters are intact but then you have these new you know trajectories so but they don't do anything like that do they 
It's no, just, I, okay. they, they do a little bit in Discovery. Um, and Discovery was okay. But Picard, I think you'll really enjoy because it picks up some of the storylines from both Voyager and from Next Generation and from the Next Generation movies. And it moves them into a whole new area that was just coming into play across the movies. Okay. So, All right. Well, I'll, I will take that as, as a, a positive endorsement. <laughs> right. a little a little poke you know to, to get me to watch that okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. sounds oh. worthy <laughs> thank you so much for coming on we appreciate um, it Michael yeah really enjoy every time we have you on and uh, we'll we'll dive further into something the next time we can we can go Gina to come back on again because yeah. there's so much more to talk about <laughs> yeah. just, just let me know let me know Thank you. All right. Thanks, Michael. Have a great night. All right. Don't forget to visit us on Patreon, virtually all social media, and podcast platforms. Have a great night. Hey, there's nothing taboo over brew.